Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Howdy ho and uh, welcome. Welcome to Podcast 343 of Maximize Your Influence as we take a dive into becoming more influential, more persuasive, a better leader, better at persuading yourself, and basically get others to want to do what you want them to do and like doing it. The key skill we should have learned in school, that's why we're here. Still mad I spent all this money on a college education, a graduate degree in business, and still didn't teach you some of the basic skills to be successful. The soft skills, which is 85% of your success. You already know that. That's why you're here. As we take a dive today on how to get others to take action, to get movement, immediate action, and quit hearing the, I'll do it later, I'll think about it. Get me more information. People will always put off a decision when they can. That's the importance of scarcity and urgency. We're going to talk about different ways to do that. Hope you're having a good week, that you're staying focused on your goals and your vision, the things that you want to accomplish. My week's been webinars, eight hours a day of webinars. Well, I did that three days in a row. Webinars on how do you persuade when you don't have the position? How do you influence without authority? How do you lead the leader? That's a huge topic right now as organizations get flatter. More people are working at home. You have to deal with other managers of equal rank. You have to deal with subordinates, people below you that don't accept your authority or position. Police officers are running to that right now where people don't accept police officers' authority. Their uniform, their guns, they just don't give them that. That's a challenge. Doctors have the same challenge. You're like, yeah, whatever. Doesn't matter, 12 years of school, doesn't care, you don't know. And part of the problem there is the internet, because on the internet, anybody can be the expert. There's a lot of great information there, but again, that still doesn't make you the expert. Like when I train doctors, they have that big challenge. We've talked about this before, where you go through all the tests, and they say, okay, this is what you have, here's your regimen, here's your prescription, do this and this, and you know they've been to school a lot longer than most people. But then that person goes home and Googles it, and some person in Indiana says, no, the doctor's wrong. It's conspiracy. They don't know. Just eat a banana. And what's crazy? Do they believe the doctor or the banana boy? Well, a lot of people believe banana boy because if it's on the internet, it must be true. So let's get into it. Let's start with the blunder. We'll call it a blinja. Don't, don't, don't. For those new to the podcast, a blinja is a combination blunder ninja. You kind of get to decide, or maybe they did a little bit of both. This will be a blinja. So I was hanging out at Costco, didn't want to go in and do the whole mask thing. So I was just hanging out in the parking lot on a nice piece of grass. And across the street was another retail store. And there was a family begging for money. And I was just watching them. And fortunately, unfortunately, my family took forever. So I watched them for a long time. They were begging for money. So let me start with some of the blunders first. The kids were with them. Now that's a positive thing, having kids with you, pulling the sympathy card, pulling the pity card. That could be a good thing. But the kids were sitting out there in chairs playing on their cell phones. I mean, it's hard to feel sorry for a family when all the kids have cell phones. Just saying. Next to them was a very nice minivan, a nice car. It looked relatively new. And again, I don't know what their position was. If they just lost their job, the virus, you know, a lot of things going on. They were dressed really well. Again, that doesn't help the situation. I mean, if you're trying to pull the pity card, get some money, you probably want to wear some ripped clothes. 
But I think one of the bigger challenges is they were positioned right at the entrance of this retail store. And where people are driving in the entrance, you just don't notice people. And if you do notice people, it's too late. And there's really not a window to stop if there's a car behind you being stressed. They'd have to pull into a different parking stall and donate you money. It's very difficult for people to stop and give you money. And the same thing's true with retail science. When you walk into a retail store to a mall, they call this kind of like the blind zone. The first 15 feet, you really don't see or recognize anything because you're adjusting to the light. You're getting used to their surroundings. You just don't see the things around you. And the thing thing's got to be true when you pull into a retail store like that, just a blind area. They should have been positioned as people exit. And not only that, you're stressed. You're going there. You got to shop. You got your shopping list. You got things to do. Versus when you come out, you're a little more relaxed. You've checked it off the list. You got everything you need. You're heading home. And the stress level will be much lower, and you're more likely to be in a better mood. Maybe you got the hot dog or pizza there at the Costco or whatever they have at this retail store you're probably in a better mood and more likely to donate. On the good side, they had a great sign and the children were holding the sign. It was a busy spot. So you can decide is that more of a blunder or more of a ninja of what they were doing. They did get donations. I saw them get donations. In fact, I had to go into Costco, help out the fam, load the car. And I was actually going to go help them donate some money for the research, but they were gone when I got back. So that is your Blinja of the week. Let's now get into our geeky scholarly article. This is brought to you by Bella DePaulo PhD, PsychCentral.com, and New York Times. And this is about now the pandemic and what's happening. And they were looking at sweet psychology of indulging during a pandemic. We're stuck at home. Are we eating more? Are we eating less? Are we eating more sweets? What's going on? And we know we're living in crazy times, but their study shows that it's not hard times for the processed food industry. Sweet things and salty things, the sales are up. There would be things like cookies and cakes, canned soups, breakfast cereals, frozen waffles, chips, lots of chips. Those type of sales are surging. So what they're finding is cooped up Americans are coping with this stress, with this new normal, with this pandemic, with new bad habits. Now the survey showed one out of four adults admitted that they have been eating more sugary and salty treats. Or they started to bake their own sweet indulgences, they called them. (laughs) They said a lot of people just had the attitude, all right, screw it, I'm done. (laughs) I need something salty, I need something sweet. And they're flaunting it on social media. And these are fitness experts who baked a whole cake and ate the whole thing. (laughs) And here's what's interesting. When you look at Google Trends, Searches for terms like weight loss diets, which is a high search term, plummeted in the last couple of months. So they're asking, should we beat ourselves up for letting ourselves go? I mean, how else can we deal with this stress? And the University of Minnesota did a study with Professor Tracy Mann, and she's one of the foremost scientists of eating. And she says that diets interfere with your thinking ability, lead to obsessive food thoughts, cause stress, which increases the level of that stress hormone cortisol that you've heard about. And in high doses, this cortisol can cause weight gain. And her big thing is to rearrange the environment. So we have to depend so much on our willpower that it's just not an issue anymore. And she was asked about this pandemic-triggered indulgences. And she said, well, you know, given how limited things are right now and how unpleasant things are right now, she wasn't surprised. And we're dealing with this pandemic. We're dealing with financial concerns, a loneliness, being stuck at home. So much uncertainty. She says, 
being at home can be tough. So she suggests prioritizing physical activity. So if you're going to eat this stuff, at least get some physical exercise. And don't worry about a slight increase in eating sweets. But she also says, try to do an increase in your vegetables also. So it's interesting, the survey found that 25% of adults are eating more salty and sugary treats. But then 33% was also eating healthier and exercising more. And what was impressive is that 60% of adults said they were cooking more meals from scratch. And what was also cool is more people are donating food and money to charities. So in one way, the pandemic's a good thing. We're seeing each other in new and maybe more humanizing ways. We're giving back more. So she says, all right, do a little sweet, do a little salty if you need to, but also bring in some vegetables and a little exercise. Because you got to be careful. Dr. Mann says you know, what we focus on tends to become a reality. We know this with persuasion and influence. What we focus on tends to happen, even in a negative way. When I work with weight loss clinics and self-persuasion, if you're focusing on the things you shouldn't have, you want that. For example, french fries. You can't eat french fries on a diet, but they're so warm. No, I can't. You dip them in the ketchup. They're so good. No, you can't. If that's how you visualize them, if that's what you're thinking about, you're going to eat french fries. You need to visualize them in a more negative way, that every time you take a bite of that french fry, that hamburger, your butt gets a little bigger. It goes, Broop. your stomach gets fatter. If that's how you visualize french fries, you're not going to eat them. Just saying, just putting it out there as we talk about the geeky scholarly article of the week. Which brings us to listener email. Oh, boy. And remember, with listener email, you get free access to InfluenceUniversity.com. That's our advanced 52-week influence program. We're taking a deep dive with a lot more advanced tools for you, a tool a week. There's a free area if you want to test it out, give it a drive. And, of course, you can always go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com for information on contacting me, taking your free Persuasion IQ assessment, getting the free book, Maximum Influence. And, of course, any coaching program that you need at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. That's our commercial for the podcast. Listener email. This is Pablo from Brazil. He says, Kurt, I've heard about this gambler's fallacy. Is that a persuasion tool? Is that a sales tool? Does that help or hurt the world of persuasion and influence? And he says, thank you what you do. Love the podcast. Love your YouTube videos. Well, that's another thing. Go to YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, iHeart under Maximize Your Influence, especially on YouTube, where I take a little piece of the podcast and supersize it, enhance it on YouTube. Well, let's talk about this gambler's fallacy, and let's define it. It's also known as the Monte Carlo fallacy. Basically, a gambler's fallacy refers to our thinking, which is wrong, that a certain event is more or less likely giving a previous series of events. I mean, that's the scientific definition. And it's incorrect, it doesn't work, but a lot of gamblers fall into it, and a lot of consumers can fall into it also, and especially investors. So the example is a roulette table. Now, on a roulette table, the ball can fall on red or black, and you can bet on that. It's not your best bet in a gambling situation, but a lot of people like it. It's a lot of fun for them. In the famous example, I believe it happened in Monte Carlo, hence the Monte Carlo effect is the ball landed on the red square 27 times. And that millions of dollars was lost because after it lands on red for 10 times, you're like, well, the next one's got to be black. Or even after 20 times, the next one's got to be black. That's the fallacy. Because statistically, no, it's still a 50-50% chance red and black. But we think in our mind that, whoa, 
Since it's landed there X amount of times, 10 times, the next one's got to be the next color. That is the fallacy when we think it has to happen when it's still a 50-50 chance. I mean, if you're flipping a coin and six times in a row it's heads, you're thinking, okay, the next one's got to be tails. No, it's still a 50-50 shot. That's the fallacy. You see it in sports, a basketball shooter. They make eight free throws and the next one's got to go in. But the reality is the statistics are the same, whatever their percent is in their free throw shooting. So there's not a big correlation with persuasion. The correlation would be, is your prospect's been burned five times buying a car or online. They're going to think they're getting burned again, which is kind of the opposite of gambler's fallacy. They think the same thing's going to happen. Rarely do they think, oh, I've been burned five times this next time. They'll get it right. They'll take care of me. So the opposite is kind of true in the persuasion world. Or you can use it with expectation management or priming to where you can kind of cook the books and enhance the numbers a little bit. For example, they did a study where they showed people some numbers. And they wanted people to estimate what the amount would be. For example, they showed them 8 times 7 times 6 times 5 times 4 times 3 times 2 times 1. And they said, hey, estimate it. What is the value of this problem? And when the 8 was in front... The average estimation was 2,250. But when they did, okay, what's 1 times 2 times 3 times 4 times 5 all the way to 8? Please estimate that number real quick. I mean, I have to do it real fast. The average estimation was 512. Now, the crazy thing is the actual real number for both of those, the real answer is 40,320. No one got close to that. Maybe we need to work on our math scores. But the real factor here is when the 8 is in front... We estimate a lot higher, four times higher than when the one was in front, even though logically we know. So with the gamers fallacy, we could kind of cook the books. We could prime a little bit with numbers. I think the negative is actually the factor where if you've been burned five times, you think you're getting burned again. If you've been to a car dealership six times, and it's all been a bad experience. This next one, you're going to project on that salesperson that they're going to give you a hard time, that they're going to do it the wrong way, even though their intent is not to do that. That's your definition of gambler's fallacy. There are situations where it can work. I think for the most part, it's going to be the opposite, but it's something to think about. It is human nature. We think if something bad's happened five times in a row, the next thing's going to be bad. And if we think, hey, hey, I flipped the coin 10 times, six or head, the next one will be tails. No, it's still a 50-50 shot. Thanks, Pablo. I will have them send you information on InfluenceUniversity.com, get you started on the advanced course. And reviving an old segment from the podcast... The Persuasion IQ question. Remember, you can take your Persuasion IQ assessment online. There's the intense 25-question version, and there's quick 10-question version. You can take which one you want. Kind of get a feel for where you rank. We don't sugarcoat the results there. But here's the type of question that you would find. And I kind of hinted toward the answer earlier. And of course, we need a sound effect. Here's the question. You're trying to convince or persuade a future client, and you've had multiple contacts, to make a decision now to do business with you. What technique will be the most persuasive? Is it A, everyone has this product or service, that would be social validation. B, what would happen if you didn't do it, that's the loss or scarcity. C, what he or the company will gain, so that'll be a reward. D, you're doing the right thing for family and society. That would be a boost to the esteem. Or just show the incredible value. That would be the law of contrast. Those are all valid persuasion tools. But if you want someone to do business with you and do it in a timely manner, 
The answer is B, what would happen if you didn't do it? That loss, that urgency, that scarcity, that's what gets people to make a decision. So creating the proper scarcity is critical to create action. The challenge is scarcity, urgency has been used and abused to death. Think about it. Furniture stores that go out of business. The sale ends today. It's the last shoe left in your size. It's crazy, but again, if you don't have any urgency and I can think about it, I'll be back later, but I'll never be back. That's why car dealerships call them be-backs, but they'll never be back. So the key to scarcity is to make sure it's immediate, they know why, it's legitimate, it's true, and it's believable. You see, scarcity drives people to action and makes us act quickly for fear of missing out of an opportunity, potentially losing out on something before we've even had it, before the opportunity to possess it drives people to action. We don't want to miss out on anything we could have had. We want to get around any restriction placed upon us. And scarcity not only pertains to physical products or services, but also time, information, price, and knowledge. Because not only is it abused and overused, but we've all been burned by it. Maybe it was an after Thanksgiving sale. Maybe it was a car. <laughs> that happened to me. Buying a car, worked out a deal, buying, all right, I'll come back tomorrow. I'll bring a check. They're like, no, you can't do that. You have to do it now. I'm like, okay, whatever, persuade her. Then they say, someone's coming at seven o'clock tonight to look at this car. I'm like, okay, whatever, salesperson, persuade her. And I just, I'll just come back tomorrow because I didn't believe them. And I came back the next day and it was gone. <laughs> so I've been burned from it too. So you've got a trigger. If you want a decision now, the threat of potential loss, they might miss out. Anything you can do to restrict their freedom, they experience what's called the psychological reactance, and people want to restore that freedom. I mean, think about teenagers. Don't date them. Don't read this. Don't do that. They want to do it more. You put kids in a room with toys. Don't play with that one. They want to play with it more. It's just how we're programmed. Because when this freedom is restricted, we latch onto that thing. We want it more, and we fear we're going to miss out. We don't stand around and say, all right, I give up. I don't want it. It's not a big deal. Other people can have it before me. Rarely does that happen. That restricted item is even more important to us. It's on our radar. We have that reactance. And that reactance is an intense motivational state. And you've seen this before. People in line to get a restricted item, there's not enough to go around. People get emotional, single-minded, even irrational, and even could start fighting. We hate feeling restricted. And so that's what motivates us to get it, to have it, to want it. We want it now. So you have to use this scarcity and urgency. Remember, make it legitimate, make it believable. Let people know why. And I would also buffer it with a little reward. Yeah, the sale is today. But if you do it today, we can double your minutes. We can give you more data. Yeah, I need you to decide today. But if you do, we take Friday off. Create scarcity, but also have a reward. Because missing out of something, they say, the research shows has 2.5 times the emotional impact of gaining something. So losing out on $100, 2.5 times more emotional impact than gaining $100. For example, homeowners were told how much money they were going to lose if they didn't improve their insulation. And the other half were told how much money they would save with the insulation. And they found that they were more likely to act when they were told about the loss of money versus the savings of money. We see it in marketing all the time. Clubs and restaurants that create exclusive memberships requirement, a waiting list, you have to qualify. Disney now that you could only watch their videos, their shows, their movies on certain channels. 
Travel sites that tell you, oh, there's only two seats left at that price. Hotels.com or other hotel sites that tell you, hey, there's 27 people looking at this property right now. Special invitation only sales, going out of business sales, offer not available in stores, one-time offer, countdown clocks, membership to an exclusive club. That's all scarcity and urgency. So what I'm saying is you want people to make a decision. Don't do the high lactose, cheesy, overused part. When you do scarcity the right way with your product, your service, your idea, whatever you want people to do, people will start begging for you to do it, to get started. So make sure you follow the steps of scarcity and urgency. Make sure the urgency is immediate. Make sure it's legitimate and real and they understand why. Make sure it's believable. And let me add, buffer it with the reward. Some type of reward. I always want to buffer scarcity with some type of reward. Hey, it works. This is proven. It's the science. This is a key factor to your success. So that's our podcast for the day. Appreciate you being here. Again, hit like, hit subscribe. Let your family, friends, and enemies know about Maximize Your Influence and how it can help change every aspect of their life from income to their relationships. But take a small piece of what you learned today. Don't say, oh, that was nice. But take a small piece of what you learned. Apply it. Use it. So if you want to get on the fast track to master these skills, get Psychology of Objections. It's on special. It's on sale. 12 audios that will teach you every aspect of the sales and persuasion game. Go to Maximize Your Influence under this podcast. Click on the link. Regardless, master these skills, improve your influence, and go out and persuade with power.